Let's Talk About Wellbeing is a series of podcast episodes with Jackie Allen and Leslie Malcolm in conversation, whose very own life experiences will give you help on building well-being into your life. Hello there, and welcome to our podcast, Let's Talk About Wellbeing. So, if you haven't heard us before and you're listening for the first time, we are two women heading towards, shall we say, our more senior years. We've certainly been round the block a few times, but we both have a zest and a passion for living our lives well and healthy. And having first met online, and that's not Tinder, we met on a networking group, we now have a series of conversations around the topics that are important to us. And we want to discuss the issues that, are, that surround that. And it's all about well-being, keeping yourself healthy, keeping yourself mentally well at whatever stage you are in life. So from this, we hope you can pick up some tips and pointers that'll help you improve both your physical and your mental well-being. Today, we're going to be talking about mental health, which is a huge passion of mine. I train on mental health and I train in all aspects of well-being. So I'm Leslie Malcolm. And hi, I'm Jackie Allen. And we're going to be talking, as I said, about mental health. So Jackie, when I say that phrase to you, what does it mean to you, mental health? Well, it means such a lot and I've been affected by it personally myself, which we will be chatting about soon. But actually, mm-hmm. today, did you know and did you realise that um, anxiety and depression are now among the most common mental health conditions worldwide? Obviously, um, here in the UK and worldwide, it has been massively highlighted and enhanced with the COVID pandemic. And it's causing even more problems. And I think there's more problems ahead for us all because of what's been happening just in the last year, 18 months, with all the different knock-on effects. I totally agree. And, and taking up your point about depression and anxiety, I was reading some stats about the fact that, COVID aside, depression is actually the number one cause of disability in the world now. You know, and we hear so much about health, um, heart disease, we hear so much about, you know, things like diabetes, etc., and how the impact that's having. But we're not talking enough about mental health and, and, and very specifically depression because it is the most common diagnosable mental health problem. But something like 300 million people in the world apparently suffer from depression. And that's probably a conservative estimate because there's some countries don't even have a word for depression in their vocabulary. So they're certainly not counted. I think one of the things, and certainly one of my pet hates, is when people talk about, oh, that person's got mental health. We all have mental health. If we don't have mental health, we're dead. The same way as we don't have physical health, we're dead. But our mental health, as we know, is on a continuum, and it's going up and down every single day. And as you rightly say, from the pandemic, it was probably, for many people, definitely swinging that little bit further down that continuum as we you know, we were in a place where we didn't know how to deal with things and all the worries that went with that. It's a, definitely a real challenge for a lot of us. Well, that's right. And I think during the pandemic, people were isolated so much, you know, even as a family unit, they were still isolated from the normal social mores of going to school, going to work, going to classes, going to sports, sporting arenas, you know, just having that freedom. And I think that really is some of the key things that have really highlighted what was actually an undercurrent. And I think a lot of people have been shocked by how much prevalence there is. And we're speaking about two of the key um, areas, anxiety and depression, but obviously there are so many other areas 
that have been compounded and highlighted the issues of what's been happening. Not least, I think, the children going to school that were really starving and hungry. And yeah. you know, it's now been proven, of course, and a lot of research is going in and even more now going forward into the fact that hungry children, that sets a trend that could lead towards you know, mental difficulties later in life. But even at the early stages, it can provide stigmas because they're obviously setting themselves aside. They're set aside from the rest of their class or their school and um, they're not performing as well. They can be a bit unruly in classes, but we've realised now that that can simply just be hunger. So, you know, the power of the of the diet and, and that side of things has now been highlighted for being a causal factor. And that's something that both of us are quite passionate about is the impact of diet on your mental health and the microbiome. And I know we're going to probably spend more time in that in another podcast, but, you know, obviously we have to bring it up when it comes to mental health, the fact that gut health equals mental health. Actually, one of the sort of recognised factors in the development of mental health is, is nutrition, because just like the heart and the stomach and the liver, the brain is an organ that requires, you mm-hmm. know, different amounts yeah. of carbohydrates and things like that. So we will go back to that at a later stage, but it, it needs nutrition as well. That's one thing to keep it healthy. So yeah. the dietary intervention is going to be key for the role of the sort of nation's mental health, if you like. I think one of the things that probably the pandemic has highlighted, as we said, is it has put a focus on mental health and and how challenging it is and the fact that we do all have mental health. But hopefully as well, what it might help us deal with is the fact that there's so much stigma still around mental health. As I said, I, I train in mental health in the workplace. So from my perspective, you know, I always say that my work here is done when we're talking about mental health issues, the same way as we talk about a broken leg. It's just health. But we need to change our societal attitude and, our, and obviously, as a result, our individual attitudes towards mental health. Would you agree? Yes, I definitely would. And talking from my own personal experience, say, sort of in my mid-40s, I experienced a bout of depression myself. And Mm -hmm. I was really embarrassed to to even admit that there was something wrong. I, I just felt that... You're talking about the stigma side of things. For yeah. me, I was like, had a, my own business, I had family, I had, you know, a good life on the outside looking in. But this thing crept up in me, um, starting with a panic attack at a Milan airport of all places. And I just had no idea what was going on. I really thought I was going to die. I just, it was just yeah. such a weird experience. And um, that set me on this path that I had to fight myself back out of, I suppose, in real terms. And, and that's partly why we're talking today, I suppose. But what I did find is when I did start to talk about it, you know, whether it was with friends or clients or whatever, I suddenly realised that actually nearly everybody I spoke to had some experience of it. And that was whether it was by themselves, somebody in their family, their parents, their children. It was so prevalent. And that, that really was my first sort of nudge into this, my goodness, what is this mental health thing? This is a much more massive sort of thing in our society than I had ever, ever noticed. And I suppose it's a bit like yellow car syndrome. Once you hear about something and know about something, then it comes to the fore. But that was a real turning point for me. And I didn't feel so alone then, if if I'm honest as well, because I thought... I thought I was a failure. <laughs> I thought, how can I, how can I, this be happening to me? So I think the stigma thing, the isolation and the, the people not wanting to admit, you know, I'm so glad now that it is so much more out in the open and some really high profile people are talking about their experiences. So it happens to everybody and it's not to do, you know, we're talking about poverty as one of the causes potentially, but it equally happens to people who 
are very high profile, have lots of money, don't have to those sort of issues. So that's yeah. why it's right across the board. I mean, I always kind of try to um, akin it to physical health in the respect that, yes, yeah, there'll be some people that are genetically predisposed to having mental health issues. And for other people, it will be um, aspects of their life. And again, just like your physical health. So, and as a result, it touches absolutely everybody. Yes, you're, you're right. Things like poverty and environment are so much a factor. But yeah, at the other end of the scale as well, there's different challenges, you know, relationships and all these sort of things that can very much impact individual people. But that whole stigma around it, I mean, I think we're chipping away at society. But I mean, when you were talking there, what I was thinking about was when I was thinking some of the definitions of stigma and what I think you were saying was was self-stigma. And that's the most challenging when people start to, you know, feel that shame and almost believe that it must be down to them as opposed to the fact that they've actually got an illness. Well, that's right. And when you say about the, the broken leg element, you know, if, if someone's got, you know, something like that, you can see that yes. there's something wrong. Somebody's hopping along the street with crutches. But, you know, obviously, when it's in your head, people can't see that. And quite often people who are really, really struggling are outwardly very positive, look happy, are engaging in life. Like I certainly yeah. was. I was running a business, but I was really mm-hmm. struggling. You know, we have spoken in a previous episode about the sleep impact, and that was yeah. a major issue for me as well. And again, people can't perform as well when they're not getting that sleep and repair at night and that side of things. Sleep certainly through menopause was a real issue for me. And I do empathise in terms of what you see in terms of your own mental health. I mean, I, I think I said in the very um, in another episode that I, I was a very anxious child and I certainly come into my, my adult life. But like you kind of mentioned, I've got very good at hiding it. And it's probably only in the last 10 years that I've kind of taken away, you feel like, that burden of anxiety. And again, it's just doing all those things. You know, it is the exercise. I know, again, we've always said exercise and diet are are the answers to so many things, but it was starting to exercise. It was starting to think about my diet. It was starting to think about, do you know, actually, I am not good with alcohol, so I have to minimise it. But also, I remember watching a a television programme probably a a couple of years ago, and um, they were talking about the impact of cold water. I think that's that cold water swimming and and that is becoming more and more popular. But what they said was you could take a cold shower every day. And, you know, we're not talking the whole shower, but just even 60 seconds. And from that day onwards, for about a year and a half now, I have always, when, when I've had my shower, I turn it to zero and um, I go under it for at least 90 seconds. And I cannot tell you the impact that's actually had on me. I don't get as keyed up about things. And I think that has been, for me, certainly one of the fundamental things that's helped me through the pandemic. But that's just one wee thing. But it's understanding we have, like our physical health, we have to try and manage and maintain our mental health. Yeah, and I think it is about being kind to ourselves. It is an illness or it is, you know, just it's a part of life, you know. And and one of the things I've learned to do, I suppose, particularly of late, um, because I've always been really hard on my own self, is like having positive affirmations every day and just talking through things. Because we're very good at saying what we haven't done right or what we forgot to do or what we didn't do well. And we have imaginary conversations when we think (laughs) something hasn't gone that well. But you should also look at the positive side. And it can just be that, well, like today, for example, 
example, outside here today in Aberdeen, it's a beautiful sunny day. That's positive that you've wakened up, that the sun is shining. And I know when your mood is low, it's really hard sometimes to think about these things. But if it can encourage anyone just to start thinking more positively about things that are that are going well and their child's maybe achieved a, a great grade at school or it could just be that they've walked further than they've ever walked before. Uh, they've been to a new town, they've had a, a new experience, a new relationship that's cheered them up and it can just be the small things as well. So I think that's a, a little tip that I would like to pass on and it's certainly been helping me of late, although I didn't do that for a wee while, but that's a, a new thing I've started to, to try and it's been really actually helped me quite a lot with my self-confidence. Actually, when you're saying that, a therapist friend of mine who basically helped Grenfell survivors said that his most effective tool is actually three good things, or you might call it gratitude, whatever, but Mm -hmm. writing down every night three good things that have happened to you. And you're not talking about life-changing things, exactly what you said. I'm, you know, I'm looking outside here in Glasgow and it's a lovely sunny day. Grateful for that. Grateful for the fact that technology worked today, whatever it is, but also You know, you mentioned about positivity. Positivity is actually one of the key pillars of becoming resilient. And therefore, if we are perhaps naturally that glass half-empty person, or we're really struggling, then if we are doing that three good things every single day, it actually trains your brain to scan for positives. Now, it's not something that happens in two weeks. And I think think they say now the creation of a habit is something like 66 days. But over that period of time, you actually can change your brain in terms of how you look at things. And that in itself can be helpful in terms of particularly where you might be liable to more mild to moderate type mental health issues. I'm definitely not an expert, but I know that there's a lot to do with, with the conscious mind and the subconscious yeah. mind. And I think that's what you're saying when it takes 66 days to get, you know, changing a habit. And I think a lot of people are looking for instant fixes and, and think if something's broken, that it's got to be like a course of medication. You could have take these tablets for two weeks. It's it's not like that with mental health. No. It's, it can be a long, slow process. But I think if you keep working forward in small steps and setting yourself small goals and, and congratulating yourself for being well that day and trying your best and doing and doing something that's going to make you feel better whether it is just taking off your shoes and walking through the grass in your bare feet in the, in the summertime we wouldn't recommend that to him in the wintertime in Aberdeen necessarily but you know no. it can be but unless it's a, a bit like your cold water swimming unless it's a benefit but I haven't really heard of that one so far <laughs> No, <laughs> I think it's, um, you know, the whole point here is we want people to be talking about mental health and normalising mental health the same way as we talk about physical health. And as a result, if we are normalising it, then people are much more likely to be talking about these sort of things and, and the benefits that it has it has for them and perhaps taking more care. Because I think much as we're chipping away at it, I think we still have a long way to go in terms of the stigma around mental health. And I don't know if that's generational or whatever, you know, certainly younger people coming through that I talk to do tend to be a bit more open. But, you know, again, I do think that some of the stats around young people, they very, very challenging. Well, yes, that is really something that is so much on the rise. And um, this brings us a, a subject that we are going to talk about today. And when you look at the stats in 2019 in the world, well, the World Health Organization have reported that there was actually 700,000 people who died by suicide in that year. And possibly that figure might have even been higher. But for younger people in particular, that is, that is a huge rate. And there's twice as many males as women who do take their own lives. It's just a a massive tragedy. And and speaking of this last year, I think 
I know for certain in our town here of about 16,000 of a population in the last year I know of three and I am sadly for myself I also Mm -hmm. know of it from my own family because I lost my own son my oldest son and it's something that is um, it's just growing more and more with the stresses and although we're asked to go and ask for help and so forth it doesn't always match the need of the people and um, that are really in dire need so that's something we'd like to highlight going forward as well when we chat about that a little bit more but it is an absolute heartbreak and even when I hear of other people I just immediately think of their families because Mm -hmm. it's them that have to deal with the fallout and the terror and the horror of it all and also what I call it the ripple effect because it touches so many people it's, it's such a terrible waste for anybody in any family. That's why I really want to try and talk about these things a bit more. Because again, going back yes. to what we're talking about with the stigma. It's not a stigma, it's a person's life and it's a family's life. And mm-hmm. it's an illness that just the same as some of the more chronic illnesses that people um, probably identify with more, such as cancer and things like that. Definitely. You're absolutely right in terms of that ripple effect. I mean, I can't imagine the pain, but I can visualise how how much of a ripple that must have in terms of other people's lives going forward. Yes, well, the Samaritans are a fantastic organisation and they're actually one of the organisations that really track uh, this. And I was just looking on their, on their website uh, before doing this podcast and um, obviously we don't have figures for the last year, but in no. 2019 in Scotland alone, there were 833 suicides. And that was 49 more than there was in the previous year. And um, it seems to be increasing. The trend is upward. There is more. And that's something that we have to try and tackle socially, morally and and every way that we can to try and and stop that tide of sheer heartache, basically. I was lucky enough to be invited to do some assist training, which is advanced suicide intervention techniques. And basically what I found from that was just what you've highlighted there. Men are most definitely the most vulnerable group and men between the ages of 25 and 45 are the most vulnerable. And, And the tragedy of that, I mean, it's a tragedy regardless, but the tragedy of that is that is the time probably where people are starting their careers, having their families, et cetera. So this is where that huge impact comes. But it comes back to that whole thing of, I think what you're saying is, well, there aren't the resources and if they are, they possibly don't match. And sometimes it's only when you get to crisis point and sometimes that's too late. But also it's one of those things that we all need to be aware of it and we and we don't talk about it. You know, it's, it's one of those things that's swept under the carpet. Yeah, I can only go by my own experience, but yeah, of course. But he did actually, it was very obvious that he was having huge issues and that was part of the, the terrible tragedy was it because you know some people just are quiet and go away and do something you know final they're often the party animal or the person who's the most upbeat you know and it can be quite yes. a, a massive shock because of that but um, it did for us highlight the the difficulty of getting the right help at the right time and quite often one of the issues I've discovered as well is that when you go for help the uh, system is set up in such a way that the person who is ill is the one that's got to ask for the help. And uh, he had his family around him and we were trying that. But a lot of people, you know, they might have depression or illness or losing their job and because of ill health maybe has put them onto the streets. That happens. There's a lot of people Mm -hmm. with mental illness, sleeping rough and so forth. 
and they don't have anybody looking out for them and no. and you know making that call and trying to push things forward and we tried to get the help and it's like well he's got to come forward himself but he's not necessarily in a position to do that no the you very know, nature of the a, illness it's a barrier uh-huh. right from the very mm-hmm. beginning and, and going back to the broken leg analogy that we've kind of sort of stuck on a supposedly in a way you know if he'd fallen down in the street and broken his leg in three places and had to be in traction for three months that would have been Mm-hmm. It would be an easy doer, take him to the hospital and, and that would have worked. Anyway, that wasn't to be in this case and um, we've just got to try and leave a bit of a legacy. He was one of these guys that everybody came to him and, and spoke to him about their problems because it was obvious yeah. he was having problems. So people felt they could uh, do that and he, I remember him saying that to me. Well, why does everybody come to me and ask me? Because look what, what I'm like. <laughs> you know, he, he did help a lot of people. And I think yes. a lot of his friends are, see, that's what they say to me, that he was for there them. for them when they're tough days. Yeah. You know? and, and you mentioned alcohol, and that's a massive factor. Mm-hmm. It was a factor in his, his uh, illness, definitely, I would say. And he was working in the hospitality side of things. So, of course, it's easy access. And that's why a lot of his friends, who are also young guys, probably, it's the kind of common denominator, meeting up in the, the pub and... Yes. You know, and, and men are not always the best at talking, at least with women. We tend yeah. to have a bit more of a support network, I suppose, in our friends and maybe less mm-hmm. likely to feel that we can't talk to people. I think that's a very good point. And I think some of the stats I've read that bear that out, that men don't talk. And, you know, it's not a sexist thing. They just don't talk the same way as they don't go to the doctor. And I know there's a lot of work being done in schools to try and help young men open up and and talk more. But there still is that societal pressure on men that, you know, they have to, and I'm going to use that expression, man up. I always find that's a terrible expression. And just going back to what you were talking about, you know, with your son and people going to him. And I think that's a really good point because vicarious trauma is real, you know. So where somebody is, you know, taking on other people's problems, you know, you and yourself, you can get triggered by that as well. So people that are that naturally that empathetic person have to look after themselves. You know, it's not just about, you know, the other person, it's about them as well. Yes, it is. And and I was just thinking, you know, just now, you know, we're talking about alcohol, but actually one of the places that men generally would go to, uh, but wasn't available during lockdown in particular, was, of course, going to the pub, you know, and having that chat at the end of the day, you know, wind down after work or whatever it might be. And that that's kind of been their safe place for a lot of people. And I I really worry about that because where have they gone? What has happened in that respect? You know, because obviously they couldn't do that. The one plus side, if you like, I see from COVID is with relation to mental health is the fact in the initial lockdown, you know, that one hour of exercise, people that had never been out in the fresh air, maybe for a long time, suddenly thought, oh my God, this is actually quite amazing. <laughs> and you yeah. know, we, you and I are, are, are lovers of that. And you just think, you know, being outside, seeing the trees, seeing just changes in your village or your town or around the area that you happen to live, if it's in a city, you know, green space, all of those things. Just even people that are quite isolated, you can meet somebody out walking their dog and you can, you can say hello because you can talk to the dog. You don't have to talk to the person, but that gives you a form of engagement. That has been one of the, the positives and the likes of Joe Wicks, who's been a crucial element of many people doing homeschooling and, and things like that and the, and the money that he's raised for charity over this time as well by focusing on exercise and the power of exercise. I think there's been a lot of real positives. So there is a good a change of mindset 
to thinking this can be fun. It doesn't have to be hard work. It doesn't have to be boring. It doesn't have to be a job and a trial. It's actually really good fun and so many people are doing it. Yeah, really getting into it and getting the enjoyment out of it. You were probably like me. I mean, it took me a while to actually get to the place where I enjoyed it. First it was a chore, but now, and now I love it. Yeah, I'm like you, you know, we spoke about our early school days, you and I having one of our conversations, one of our many conversations since we sort of met. We were both okay in it, but as I, you know, as I alluded to that, I wasn't always picked first in the team. No, me neither. <laughs> but me now, neither. <laughs> over the years, over the years of, um, I've just learned to love it. And I go to my jazzercise class now that really helps me unwind. And it's a mixture of weight bearing exercise. It's uh, music. It's some little routines. So it's good for your mind, you know, just to for cognitive sort of ability and keeping your timing and everything like that. And I actually just love that class. If I can't go, I'm like devastated. And it's just the one, you know, the one thing that really keeps me going as well as being outdoors, obviously, as much as I possibly can. That's the two key factors for me that I need to do. I think probably as we're coming to the end of this particular podcast, we'd just like to mention one or two numbers or places that perhaps people can get help. And having spoke about men's mental health today as well, I'd like to mention Andy's Man's Club. And that's, you know, if you look on the um, Google, then you'll find one of those clubs which is specifically for men to talk about mental health talk about their challenges and they're all over the country the other one I'd like to mention is, is shout and that's a text-based crisis service and it's 24 7 so you text shout 85258 and it's as I said manned by excellent volunteers 24 7 and you've got a couple of Jackie too haven't you Yes, one that just started up around the time that I lost my son um, is Manchat, that's in Aberdeen, and you can find them on Facebook. And I mentioned Samaritans as well, who, you know, are a, a long, long-standing, very, very trusted, amazing organisation. And um, you can call them at any time, day or night, and that's literally any time, on 116-123. There's always someone there who can listen to you and help you. We also have lots of links and information on our Facebook page. Let's talk about well-being. Well, hopefully you can get some more information if you need places and people to talk to to help you. So thanks for joining us. From me, Jackie, that's bye. And from me, Leslie, we look forward to talking to you next time. Thank you for listening to this Let's Talk About Wellbeing podcast with Jackie Allen and Leslie Malcolm. For more information on how to build well-being into your life, please search for our Facebook page. Let's talk about well-being.